So I thought I should put this in context of most of us in this room have had a long time of reform. Let's go back to the year 2000, and I think most of us have been sensitized over the last eight years, and, I, and I, I know all about this because when I started in July, the big question was, even from Neil, why do we need another review? Have we not have had enough review as far as the NHS is concerned? So if I could try to put this in context and start with the year 2000, what the NHS plan was all about, then there was a tremendous amount of excitement in those days in relation to the NHS plan, but I will come back to you and suggest the tools used in reform in those days are and will be very different than the tools that we are all aspiring to achieve in the next phase of reform. The Department of Health is usually very proud when they present these slides for you, which is the reduction in the or a tremendous improvements in waiting times without actually forgetting the people who did this is you. It's the service out there who have achieved these tremendous uh, changes, uh, you know, a waiting list uh, dropping in a matter of four years from 18 months to 18 weeks. We've also seen the fruits of some of the targeted approach in the major killers like cancer, cardiovascular disease, and, you know, just talk about cardiovascular disease, a reduction of mortality by 48%. You find one healthcare system globally that has actually achieved that. It's something the service, the NHS, should be very, very proud of. Saying that, though, I think some will challenge in this room, and some have challenged over the last eight years, whether this is the right way in achieving the reform. Now, I have two views about this. If you are to double the expenditure in the NHS from $47 billion to $109 billion using taxpayers' money, you need to show to the taxpayer some of the improvements and the major challenges facing them. In the year 2000, it was access. We know that. In the year 2000 was cancer mortality from cancer, mortality from cardiovascular disease. We've also seen these improvements in primary care, and again, something we should all be very proud of. The negotiations around 2004, the introduction of the Quality Outcomes Framework, you know, the way we talk about quality as if it's a new invention, it's not. It's been in the system, but it's been very much targeted in specific areas. And if you look at the quaff points in the improvements in quality of provision in primary care, you also come to the same conclusion, a tremendous improvements over the last three or four years. Then you'll ask yourself the million-dollar question. Is this actually systemic? Is the quality improvements across the system? And Neil would know this because we did a piece of work with them when I was leading the London Review. Just look at the end-of-life pathway. You come to a completely different conclusion. You come to the long-term conditions pathways. You come to a completely different conclusion in the management of COPD. So it's not been systemic. And that is the side effect of a targeted approach, although I tried to justify what the targeted approach was all about in the year 2000. I wanted to really move on and say why we need a different way of reform as we have increased the investment in the NHS and we have also now have a third growth in those delivering health care. good example will be stroke. Uh, and if you look at uh, this information, which is looking at the 10 strategic health authorities using five of the evidence-based quality indicators in stroke management, you will see a tremendous variations in the provision of high-quality stroke care across the 10 health, strategic health authorities. So the NHS plan was very much top-down targeted. And again, we have to acknowledge, through your work, there's been tremendous improvements across the system. But 
the methodology that was achieved was very different, and where we're trying to take the next stage review and the output of the next stage review, which is the 10 reports and the high quality care for all, which is a bottom-up, and many of you contributed to that actual process. If I could try to explain that a little bit more in depth, what we mean by that. The targeted approach, which uh, most clinicians became very sensitized to over the last eight years, was a target was set nationally, centrally. Many of us change our practices to achieve that target. And in many cases, we achieved that target change. What we're trying to achieve through this phase of the reform is how could we, across the system, take ownership or give ownership to the local clinicians who are involved in the delivery of that care based on the eight pathways in changing the practices to achieve better outcomes. In other words, a complete reverse way of thinking when it comes to the quality improvements across the system. And to do that, and I think that's the bit that captured the imaginations of many in high quality care for all, and I've said that repeatedly across uh, the last 12 months, is the quality being the organizing principle in the NHS is the bit that I feel uh, both the healthcare providers, commissioners, but also those who use the healthcare system. And my way of explaining this, quality in itself, although it could be the organizing principle, one thing we need to be waking up to is that quality itself is a moving target. And I think we've seen numerous examples of that when it comes to, if I could go back to cardiovascular disease again, within the period of reform, the last five years with the investment around the, the CHD NSF, we saw four major innovations. We saw the publications of the statin results. We saw angioplasty coming in with the stents. We also saw a public uh, a policy in cessation of smoking in public places. And I have no doubt it's the cumulative impact of those <coughs> together that had led to that reduction in mortality. And the way I will describe the quality improvement framework is if we are to use this opportunity of quality measure, it is quite important to recognize that measure on its own is not going to make that tremendous shift that we are all aspiring to achieve. Because quality itself, firstly, it means defining the standards uh, and then measuring against those standards rather than measuring against a non-evidence-based standards, which is not uncommon within the system. Quality improvement in science itself, which I will come back to, and finally, the impact of innovation and how do we respond to that. Quality standard, I think, is the crux of this, and I think if we are fair to organizations like the National Institute of Health and Clinical Excellence, NICE, most of the attention around NICE has been about the appraisal of new drugs and new technologies, but in actual fact, very little attention is being given to the multiple guidelines that they have worked in partnership with many of your sponsors today, the colleges, uh, in coming up with the right standards uh, of care. And I think what was striking when we started the next stage review, if you look at any of the pathways, the multiplicity of the guidelines that are available in the treatment of any of these pathways. So a significant amount of work has gone into the setting of these standards for the future, and we will be announcing this week what we call the NHS portal, which is something we picked up through the system through the next stage review, and how do you get that evidence-based, the guidelines, out into the service, and the NHS evidence portal, which, as I said, NICE will launch this week, will be, I think, one of the enabling tools in achieving that. 
on the back of the evidence-based guidelines, we also need to decide, and I think ultimately there should be one organisation that sets what the quality standards are, and that should be nice, and these quality standards based on pathways of care already there are numerous ones out there, is how do, we, how, do we, how do we get those through the system and how do we measure our performance against these quality standards. I'm going to move on to the measurement, and I think a lot has been said, and I know Michael is here and you know, his expertise in the information centre. I think one message you get out of that, there is no other healthcare system on the globe who measures more than the NHS. There's a tremendous amount of information out there what the problem with that measurement is, it has no ownership. None of you feel that you own that information because you haven't been involved in collecting that information. And there is also a, uh, another challenge with that is how do you get that measure to the level of the team who've been involved in the delivery of that care? Because ultimately, this information isn't the stick. This information is what we all want if we are to engage in the quality improvement exercise. We had a fairly clear framework, some could be critical of that framework, of safety, effectiveness and patient experience. And you could include productivity in that, you could include all sorts of other parameters, and there are many academics across the globe who have put a huge amount of effort defining what that quality framework should be. We started simply, uh, safety is, and some of the safety indicators are extremely important, and I will come back and give you some background information on how many of these indicators are out there and how could we take the ownership of such indicators. Effectiveness and also patient experience, which I'm sure Michael touched on. We've been through a, a quite a considerable consultation exercise throughout the system, and if I could start across the system itself, I think the most exciting part of that ownership of the quality indicators and the quality measures has to be at the team level who've been involved in the provision of that care. The purpose of these is to use that measures constantly to improve the quality of care that they are providing. At a board level, we want to get the board more accountable in relation to the quality improvements as far as the provider or commissioner organisations. And most of you know, as we're taking the bill through Parliament at the moment, is the concept of the quality accounts and what should be in the quality accounts. I think it would be the wrong thing for the Department of Health centrally to actually say or come up with an example of what the quality account should be. There are a number of indicators that we know are part of the regulator's requirement, which are the CQC. There are a number of indicators which are part of the operating framework, which the commissioners obviously performance manage the NHS organisations delivering those. But I think the most exciting bit of the quality accounts is that extra space is what service lines wish to measure on what they wish to report to the local population that they are treating, whether that is a, a cardiovascular service line, whether that is an integrated indicator that looked at pathways of care in long-term conditions between primary and secondary care. Now, a lot of these indicators also need to be developed, and that is the intellectual property of the NHS itself when it comes into the development of these. No different than what I think what Michael was referring to at the end of his talk, which is the PROMS. Uh, patient-related outcome measures developed in the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, validated there, and we just launched four of them out as far as our commissioning program for 2009. 
At a regional level, this information is extremely important when it comes to commissioning. We are constantly saying, well, do we have the right commissioning power in PCTs? How could you commission if you don't have the knowledge and the information required to commission some of these services based on that evidence base? And ultimately, at a national level, as you know, we are also uh, working on a set of indicators, and some of these are in the system as well. The OECD, we do contribute uh, to the OECD indicators, but I think we are the worst country as far as the percentage of our data collected as far as the OECD. So we're trying to, again, at a national level, collect more, much more robust data which shows the, uh, the, the improvements in quality at a national level on a year-per-year -year basis. Ultimately, this is a system which is accountable to Parliament. Let me just go through what the quality account will look like. This, was a, this is some of the information that we gathered. This is a piece of work which was done by Monitor and CQC up to about what, what indicators, what measures we have in the system at the moment, what's the source of that data, and how could we firstly increase awareness of this information that is measured, and then how could we encourage to build on these different indicators and allow clinical teams to build on that. Let's start with some of the uh, safety uh, indicators and measures, hospital-acquired infections. They are constantly uh, reported by the Healthcare, uh, Healthcare Commission, now the Care Quality Commission. Medication errors and hospital falls, there are all sorts of different information collected uh, and for different uh, audiences and for different purposes. The MPSA, if you go to their site, you will come across a tremendous number of measures, including the percentage of errors reported by different provider organizations and taking the norm where they should be in relation to that percentage reporting. The clinical effectiveness, again, the colleges have been historically involved in a number of clinical audits with specialist societies and associations, which most have felt a wonderful tool to use, but not, did not receive the regard that they should have received within the organizations that you're working in, the support requiring in collecting that information and that data, ranging from hospital uh, mortality rates, and you probably know the debate that we recently had in relation to the HSMR and what that means in relation to mid-staff, but how could you use these tools in a more intelligent way in trying to drive the quality improvement exercise? Uh, readmission rates, <coughs> reoperation rates, and most of these indicators, to be fair, mostly have been around secondary care, although beside COF, there are a number of other indicators which I have no doubt would be of use, of use in uh, primary care. <laughs> Moving on to the patient experience measures, and again, there are numerous examples of tools that are used for patient satisfaction. What's striking about that is the complete dissociation between the information that is gathered usually by the healthcare uh, CQC at a board level, and how do you feed back that information and make it more granular to those who are providing that service line? I will doubt that any of you in this room will say you have received the patient satisfaction survey relating to your service line on a regular basis. I think probably you will agree the ones that you end up seeing are the complaints rather than the actual satisfaction surveys granular level down to your service line. And, there, and, and I think, I've said this before, we need to have as high a regard to these indicators of patient experience as we've had for clinical effectiveness. It might sound a bit novel in policy lines about clinicians getting involved in quality measures. That is incorrect. Most clinicians constantly measure, 
the quality, the effectiveness of care historically. Certainly the best units do. I think what we need to have a slightly higher regard in the future is obviously the patient experience. And there are a number of tools in relation to the patient experience measures, ranging from qualitative up to quantitative. You can pick and choose which of these you wish uh, to measure. And again, that's the type of debate uh, that we need. And again, that is not something that the Department of Health should be uh, putting out. Uh, that is something that I hope that every uh, provider organization will start capturing and feeding that back to the teams and staff involved in that. I think the, probably the best example I came across <coughs> is the Homerton example and their use of continual dynamic measure and feeding that back to the environment in which patient <coughs> is receiving their care. Uh, you know, a very simple uh, exercise, and if you go to any other sector uh, in business, in the, in the marketing sector, uh, the food sector, Marks and Spencers will be a good example, you will actually pick up many, many tools, very simplified tools, in which customer satisfaction is picked up. So the purpose of this exercise is how do we move and shift the mindset from what we are measuring now, which is tons of data that is rarely used in any way and form or have any ownership to, into measuring to what matters based on the quality standards that we want to set and constantly use these measures for quality improvement. Which brings me back to the next point is what is quality improvement? Uh, a lot has been said about quality improvement. There is a science underpinning this, and I think King's Fund and a number of other organizations in this country have taken the leadership in the past. Many organizations, believe it or not, in the NHS commission U.S. organization, the IHI being one good example on their quality improvement uh, uh, tools and techniques. I, I see Alan here, although according to him this is discovered after the, the Second World War, which I couldn't agree more with, uh, but that discovery hasn't translated into healthcare. And the question is how do you get that mindset, that measurement alone is just one tool to enable you to improve quality. We need to start within the department, within the region, within the commissioner level, within every provider organization. Get the mindset of what we mean by quality improvement and what are the skills and the competencies required in making sure that these quality improvements happen. One example that we were involved in recently was the uh, introducing so-called the checklist in the operating theatre. And you can see the fruits of that as far as the reduction in morbidity and mortality by, by a very simple checklist uh, just prior to an incision being made. So that's, that is what quality improvement, I, you know, I have very little time to, uh, to explain the greater details of it, but I think every NHS organisation will have a role to play in this. Finishing off in this infinite, although my talk is not going to be infinite, uh, finishing off with this infinite loop that I was describing to you as far as quality being a moving target is innovation. Is how could we have an NHS that is more responsive? By the time we agree on something and get up and implement it, people have passed us by. Good example, the cardiovascular. We were debating for three years how we're going to increase the number of cardiovascular surgeons in this country. At the same time, we missed the trick. There were cardiologists there doing their angioplasties and sticking their stents. And again, we didn't recalculate that. And that is another challenge and innovation. And you know some of the announcements yesterday, although some described it as crackpot, which, is, which fascinates me. You know, how do we capture the imagination of 
1.2 million people in constantly challenging ourselves in what are the evidence-based innovative interventions that we need to, to take <coughs> part of. But also, how do we challenge commissioners? Because the common story is, I went to the PCT, I want to change the service, but they said no. And the legal duty at a health authority level and introducing some, more importantly, innovation metrics. And innovation isn't just about drugs. It isn't about just gizmos that I like in my own uh, clinical life. It's about innovation in service design. It's about innovation in management. It's about innovation within the organizational structure and governance uh, structures. One thing we're not short of, I don't know how many of you know this, but 40% of all inventions globally over the last 50 years came from the UK, and that's in all, all sectors. And if you look at the history of the NHS itself, it's something, it's a heritage that we should all be very proud of, ranging from the discovery of penicillin, uh, ranging to the discovery of MRI in Nottingham by Peter Mansfield in 1967. And again, the fruits of that discovery didn't translate to patient care in this country uh, for about a decade after its introduction in the US. So we need a more of a culture, if I could use the slide recently by uh, Nesta, about you know what's the ecosystem of a sustainable innovation in the NHS. You certainly come across leadership and funding, policy changes, and that's you know, some of the policy drivers in high-quality care for all is how do you introduce innovation in a number of different ways, and I mentioned few, innovation funds, challenge prizes. But, you know, how could you fix the pricing? How could you look at the tariff as a way in which you can drive uh, innovation? I think the bit that probably will be most challenging is culture, and I will come back to that point. We've done a lot in research and development. We've done a lot of uh, in approvals and commissioning. But I think we also need to focus the mindset on the concept of starting to measure, and there are indicators. If you go to IBM, you come across 20 different, what they call their preferred innovation indicators. So not just focus on the effectiveness and safety. There are innovative in innovation indicators that we can also use in our measurements. And I think I strongly encourage, again, that's not a, a top-down. Any provider looking at their pathways of care, what are the innovative metrics that we can introduce to measure these? To finish this off is to share with you some of the different policies we've introduced in High Quality Care for All, and I'm not going to rehearse these for you, and some of the innovation policies that I announced yesterday, which moves me to one last slide. I know Neil is looking at me in a very suspicious way, and how do you achieve this shift of mindset, as I call it, from the top-down targeted approach into the mindset of bottom-up, and I have no doubt to do that we need a complete different and a refreshed mindset in achieving that. And it's meetings like this and using some of the enablers there, like quality measurements and improvement, is the one that will shift that mindset from the top-down targeted into more constant improvement of our practices in changing the outcomes for the future. So thank you very much for having me, and uh, I'm more than happy to take some questions. <laughs>